Welcome to Switcheroo, a dirty little podcast about religion, sex, and all the in-between parts. With your hosts, Maggie Baxter, an atheist turned evangelical, and Nick Vu, an evangelical turned atheist. Um, can we talk about the fungal that I had today? <laughs> the fungal? I was sitting in the backyard sipping on a minty drink. I saw a girl standing there, she was mowing the lawn. I said, hey, Zazie, who's this girl back here? That's the lawnmower girl, what's she doing? Is she talking on the telephone? I said, yeah, she's talking on the telephone. Oh, there goes, she's always on the telephone. What's that girl doing? Talking on the telephone. The phone call that I had today. <laughs> How's your fungal doing? My, <laughs> I have no fungus on my body right now. Oh, I, believe, I bet that's not true. I'm certain bet, that there's some sort of fungus yeah. on my body. There's it, all sorts of things on our body. Underneath a toenail or in a labia somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> One of the labias. Wow. Yeah. A menorah or a majora. Mm-hmm. There's probably fungus somewhere. Is yeah. bacteria fungus? Nope. Okay. That's its own kingdom. <laughs> What's the difference between kingdom and phylum? And where does bacteria and fungus fall? I mean, these are all, there's a whole like study and science of how to categorize things. Okay. Typology, but do you know, maybe. Do you know uh, what, where And they so fall? there's no like hard and fast, but kingdoms would include animals, plants, <laughs> uh, funguses, bacteria. Are fungus a separate kingdom from animal yes yeah yes they are i i think i did hear though our fungus their own kingdom yeah but um i heard humans are closer to fungi than humans are to plants oh or than plants are to to fungi fungi that's that's mind-boggling because they look like plants yeah like mushrooms look like plants Mm -hmm. but they're not and they're not even close. They're closer to humans. I believe so. Somebody fact check us. If you <laughs> write us and don't, fact check us. Don't tweet at me. about. Fungus. We only accept snail mail for feedback <laughs> and uh, listener questions. The address is podcast about podcast animals and Kiss my ass. <laughs> uh, Avenue.com. <laughs> You have, to, you have to put .com at, on the envelope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Seattle, Washington, 985.com. <laughs> oh, we have, a, we have a visitor. Our, first, have our, first, our first guest. guest. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome, Mike. <laughs> you want to say hi? Hi. Hi. There that, he is. That's my husband. Or or partner, or whatever we call each other. What do you call each other? I call call him my spouse. Your hit spouse? My my hit. I call you my husband. I call you my husband. Your host spouse. Well, they need to know that you have kids. Yeah. Oh, I have kids. I've got Um, two kids. And so... Not saying their names on the podcast. 
Yeah. Old, oldie and youngie. <laughs> oldie, oldie, Olderson. Oldie Braun and younger Braun. <laughs> Older and younger Braun. Yes. Correct. Braun the younger. Or brown hair and blonde hair kid. Blondie and brownie? <laughs> <laughs> You're not allowed to say brownie. Cut no, that. <laughs> At least she doesn't have black hair. That would be worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What so let's talk about. Oh no! Okay. <laughs> no. Let's talk about racism. <laughs> I just went to black coffee, which I'm very excited about. This this isn't what our podcast is about, though. No, it is delicious, though. But I am yeah. interested in because I just had a phone call that was oh, yeah. deeply misogynistic, hmm. uh, and and it is like wearing on my nerves to the point where I got a migraine, and I was curious as I was thinking about it. Like I don't really know any of your experiences with racism, hmm. and you are not a, a white man, right? Entirely. <laughs> so. yeah. But I like as long as I've known you, I don't think we've really talked about like your experiences with racism. And, yeah, okay. I would like to hear some of those oh, things. Sure, sure. Uh, Unless you see. have none, <laughs> in which case. I'd- I have zero race experiences. No. Okay. So my dad is Vietnamese. He was a refugee in the Vietnam War. Uh, and my mom is white. Uh, and that would make me mixed race. Yes. I don't know. Growing up, let's see. I remember in elementary school, I was like one of the only Asian kids. And, you know, kids in, just don't know any better. And they In would, suburban California? No, no, this is in Florida. Florida, you yeah. are, for some reason, Florida. Yeah, people would, like, pull their eyes back and be like, ching chong, ching chong, ching chong. And, <laughs> like, is... and hey, Chinese boy. And <laughs> I, I remember asking my... And... Kids have the worst insults. Like, that, is, that requires the least amount of mental gymnastics. These are five-year-olds, not stand-up comedians. <laughs> I can't. Like, they're... Yeah, it's Ugh. not sophisticated at all. And... I didn't, I don't think it really like bothered me that much. I remember asking my mom about it. It's like, why are they calling me Chinese boy? And she's like, just tell them you're not Chinese. Did you ever tell someone that you're not Chinese? And Probably, I don't do know. Do you recall any sort of response to something? The thing is like, it wasn't that big of a deal. I don't think. Uh, for the most part, uh, I think I kind of blended in, honestly. I am... I'm not dark-skinned or anything, but it seems that people do recognize that I'm not all white. Mm. Uh, Yeah, and honestly, in high school, I was able to, like, bounce between, you know, the Asian groups and the white groups and, um, yeah, sat with the black kids and on the bus. And, um, yeah, and I would say I'm still processing this, you know, I've yeah. I've cruised through my life and it like has been a non-issue and if anything has helped me fit in to a lot more groups uh and it wasn't until the uh you know the big George Floyd thing yeah I think where I think people were I was noticing the racism around me more clearly and noticing even like my own biases and inclinations 
And it's like, oh shit, like, should I, are we, are we swearing on this podcast? Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. (laughs) Okay, cool. Um, Yeah, your church is going to love this. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've considered whether or not we should go under pseudonyms, but I'm abandoning that in favor of transparency and honesty. And there was the very famous swearing pastor here in Seattle, Mark Driscoll. God, I hate that guy. I hate that guy so much. He was infamous. Yes. Okay. He sucks. Yeah, he sucks. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm paying a lot more attention. I'm there's actually times when I'm going out. Like I was actually confronted this last summer in a very weird way. I don't know if it was racist or not, but like a guy put his hands on me like out in public. And that that fucked me up for several days. Yeah. And I had never experienced like that before. In, in out of context like any sort of context? I mean, not that there's an excuse, but like I mean, there, were you like? I was waiting for food outside. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for food outside of Husky Deli in West Seattle, which is an amazing place. Uh, his daughters were there, and they were just like clowning. And one of them like dropped her ice cream off the cone and was like picking it up and licking it. And I'm just like, this is amazing. I love this. And the guy like sees me looking at his daughters, and he's like comes over at me and he's like i see you looking at my daughters oh. fucking walk away and i'm just like you're like but they're doing amazing yeah. shenanigans see, the thing is, when i'm in situations like this i freeze like in the flight 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 fight or freeze yeah i you're a freezer i'm a freezer and i don't know what to say and i'm just like Ugh. and so i kind of step away but like you know he put his hands around my neck and held me there. And he's like, yeah, you fucking walk away. Whoa. And so maybe he thought I was a pedophile. Maybe it had to do something with my race. I don't know. Tensions are that's high. A, that's a very generous perspective to give to a person who would strangle a stranger. <laughs> right? Yeah. In a public and I mean, place. God, like. That's wild. Like, God bless his daughters who, yeah. like, they have to live with that man yeah that sucks who is just like when are they like when they start dating <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i mean that, and there's that's that's, the worst. there's all that narrative about like the dad with the shotgun on the porch mm-hmm. the, you know the disgusting toxic masculinity uh story that we all yeah. live under but like and there's a sense of dads protecting their daughters or whatever but like that's not the world we grow up that's not what we're growing up in anymore yeah i don't know yeah that sucks for those kids that's it's it's still that world in many places yeah um less so in seattle but you know i'm i'm a little more sensitive now and i am a little bit more aware and nervous and cautious when i just it was beyond me that anyone would treat me differently. Yeah. Like, honestly, if someone did something racist to me before, and I think I even brought this up when we were living together, I would just be dumbfounded if somebody did something racist to me. Like, right? Like, like what? Like, freeze. You would freeze. Like, well, I, mean, I don't freeze, understand this. It would just be, it would be like, like, what are you even talking about? <laughs> like, it's not me being like resentful yeah. or just like, like shocked. It would just surprise. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it would be that case anymore. Now you would read it as as a thing that it has been recognized societally. Yeah, more as a threat. So the ex- like experience of racism is also like a learned thing. Yeah. 
Interesting. Uh, and I don't know where that's going to land. Am I in a better place now that I'm like aware and sensitive to it? Mm. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. But I think like society is moving in a better direction and it requires some discomfort and stirring of the pot. Yeah. And uh, if, if and, and, and self-reflection. Yeah, and self-reflection. Yeah. And what I'm experiencing is minimal compared to, I think, a lot of the Black experience. Yeah. In pursuit of describing intersectionality, I, I can only compare my, my marginalization from being a woman, from being a queer woman. Mm-hmm. Those are, those are my two intersections, right? Sure. Like, uh, I'm still a white woman. So I, I want to, I mean, you have all the intersections. It's just some of those are mainstream yes. and some of those are correct. Yeah. That's less so helpful. Um, but like, I understand that I had this phone call today that, that, uh, reeked of misogyny but I only feel that way because I've experienced misogyny and I, and the me too movement like put a lens on it in a way that I wasn't prepared to like look in internally and say like, Oh, these experience I I had affected me negatively, but I, I hadn't processed that until I started seeing the kind of signposts uh, mm-hmm. presented by other people, people who are brave and more brave than I had been to be able to say, Oh, that's, that's not appropriate behavior that I'm experiencing. And so it was, are you saying that pre me too, the experience of being a queer woman pre me too and post me too are different? Uh, Yes. Well, I think uh, leaving, leaving queerness out of it, just being a woman, like the experience of being a woman and having interactions with people. What I think I heard you say was like, the experience with the guy at the restaurant with his daughters wouldn't have seemed as threatening race racially before George Floyd. Correct. Uh, and like, I feel like pre me too, I wouldn't have experienced certain acts of misogyny or assault or harassment in the same way because I just didn't have the framework of other people saying like, this is wrong and repeating that over and over again, Mm -hmm. like so vocally. And so like now I'm at the point where I can, I can recognize it, but I haven't really figured out how to talk about it. I'm still in kind of the free, the freeze mode of like, I'm experiencing this now in a way and through the lens of like being a feminist and wanting to not have my control or my power taken from me. But I I haven't done that before. So I'm like learning a whole new language of how to respond Mm -hmm. to to that kind of behavior where before I, before that was a more public discourse, I was like, that's normal. It's normal for me to be belittled in a conversation with someone who's lower on the hierarchy than I am Mm -hmm. just because they're a man. Right. Yeah, and there is also the context that matters here. Like, this is a phone call for work, which is your church. Yes, yeah. As opposed to just, like, a I hesitate to yeah. say progressive Seattle because there's a lot of backwardsness also in Seattle. <laughs> yeah. But uh, in general, a woman standing up for herself in Seattle will be well-received. Yeah, championed but, even. Yeah. But in the church... In, in a church that might be different. Yeah, the the big C church, the like capital C church is 
decades behind in every way, in every conversation. Mm -hmm. And it, it rears its ugly head a lot. That like truth that it's a profession for people who are employed by the church. It's a profession that is still steeped in the patriarchy because it's a 2000 year old tradition based on men being the head of the household. So Mm -hmm. can we pause to define some terms here? Yes. Ooh. Yeah. So this is actually something I always like to do in my jingle. jingle. Define terms. Okay. (laughs) Uh, yeah, and whenever I write and I would say have conversations, most con- most of the misunderstanding and disagreement comes from people having different definitions for things. Okay. Um, and so when we talk about the church and the big C church yeah. that you're talking about, how are you defining that? And I have my own thoughts. Okay. I talk about, I think there are three levels in my perspective. There is the church that I attend which is not confined to a building at this moment in time because of COVID, but it's like the community of people at the specific institution that I attend. The capital C church is all of the denominations that fall under evangelical Christianity. I guess the Protestant, the Protestant church at this point, but includes Catholicism. The like bold capital C church is like every, all of the traditions, including anything that kind of relates to Jesus Christ in as a like figurehead. So mm-hmm. Catholicism, Mormonism, Seventh day Adventists. Uh, yes. Rastafarianism broadly a, a lot, much larger scope, but I, I am not as versed in those traditions. So really I kind of operate in the like small C, the institution that I am employed by big C the Protestant evangelical tradition in the United States, which before I get too deep into, into that, like I am, I, I rail against on a regular basis. I'm very against the evangelical tradition at this place in my spiritual journey. Hmm. So (laughs) I, uh, I work for the institution and I appreciate parts of the aspect of the work that I do. Um, But I am hoping to be, working in the institution as it is being reformed and not as uh, uh, upholding the doctrines that it espouses at this moment. Mm-hmm. So I'm working against the church from the inside. That's my, my hope. <laughs> yeah. Nice. You've infiltrated the church. Yeah. I'm kind of, I'm like, an, are you an, outing yourself as like a double agent? Yes. I'm the inside. I'm doing the inside job. Okay. <laughs> the, the inside <laughs> If you Blow read down. in the newspaper that Maggie Baxter's dead. It's, it's because of this uh, You'll know. <laughs> Is it okay that we're using last names? You yeah. can use my last name. But you did call me Maggie Baxter, which oh, yeah. is not my last name. Yeah, that's true. I uh, I even raised up on the map to get here. I hadn't saved your address, and so I put it under Maggie Baxter. Good. Because I don't know how to spell Bra- I... Braum. Braum. Brahms. Yeah. Um, I I do typically go by Baxter Brown. That's kind of my my name. Um, is that is Baxter something I should avoid? No, I I uh, embrace my my former last name. Okay. Uh, if Mike heard me call you Maggie Baxter, he would, would he not punch me in the he, face. No, he would not second or... guess that for a second. He calls me Maggie Baxter. Oh, okay, cool. He, he forgets that <laughs> that I took his last name a lot of the time. Yeah. Cool. 
Um, okay, my my thoughts on I guess the definition yeah. of of church is that it is a a broad spectrum of I don't know organized religion that follows Jesus and. Within this spectrum, there's everything from very conservative to very liberal. Um, and I would even argue that there is kind of like a progression of an expanded mind or something. Somewhere within this spectrum, on the probably a little bit more conservative side, you'll you'll find like fundamentalism where they are taking literal interpretations of right. scripture. And evangelicalism, which is like, you need to believe what I believe right. if you're going to be okay. Yeah. And that's mainstream what we understand as the church. But then there's also, I mean, there's even way more conservative than that. Yes. Um, which like, yeah, the, the Southern Baptist church where like, uh, we weren't allowed to dance mm -hmm. and yeah, there's lots of other crazy stuff, probably even further than that, uh, where, you know, they kill their daughters if they've had sex and yes. um, lots of other intense things. Uh, and then on the other liberal side, and I've met many, like there are very feminist versions of Christianity and full yeah. churches that you can go to that have queer women yeah. pastors. And usually they're a lot more like social justice oriented and like getting out there into the community and helping people out that people believe in Jesus is very, very secondary or tertiary, if that even comes up at all. Right. It's more like, this is a person that I find kind of inspiring. I'm going to try to live well. Yeah. And use that as like a spark. So is the, so, like, is the label of church kind of just the, the piece of the, the organizing of groups of people who followed somewhere along that spectrum. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, I've just noticed that in a lot of conversation, when the word church comes up, people jump to the mainstream yeah. definition of church, uh, which is represented on like Fox news and yeah. a lot of other places and forget and that capital riots there's yeah, that there's like all different brands yeah. of of this thing i like to when i speak i usually say like the ev evangelical church yeah or evangelical christianity yeah uh, i like to keep that word out of my mouth because i hate it the evangelical <laughs> yeah okay yeah but i'll probably <laughs> jump in and ask you like exactly which one you mean yeah um that's uh i typically am probably referring to the evangelical church too yeah. and the tradition that i am currently employed under is evangelical and so is misogyny a or let's not use the pejorative term is patriarchy more of an expectation within this particular organization uh i think it is kind of at least in my experience in all the churches that i've worked for which has been i don't know five or six at this point it's it's just the like it's like the canvas that everything is painted on. So you can paint a really beautiful picture of social justice and harmony and feminism, but it's all painted on the canvas of the patriarchy. So mm. uh, it's the under undertone in all things. And I've experienced it with a lot of 
men who have been in leadership roles, even, even if I'm hierarchically on the same level as them, and it's not just me, I'm, I'm using my experience as an example, but like, even if they claim to end and pursue equal footing for men and women, or I'll just stick with men and women. They are, if they uh, endorse like women being pastors, for instance, that's a huge topic that continues to come up no matter where you are, like whether or not women can preach, even if a man is like a big proponent of, of women preaching they still are steeped in the like the tradition of men being the the voices in the room that are so like you put a group of 15 pastors in a room okay let's say there's 16 there are 8 and 8 okay there are 8 men and 8 women the women will more often be spoken over or 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 not speak at all because the the men even if they claim to be pro-women in ministry, pro-women in preaching, the tradition is so rooted in men being the leaders that men take over without um, being conscious of their uh, of their bias. So I've seen a lot of progressive men fall into that uh, sand pit of, mm-hmm. of like, I, I'm really pro-women, but like when I get in a room with a woman who's supposed to be my peer, I will not treat them as a peer. Or as a as an equal, um, and the pay gap is still large between men and women in the church. Men, female pastors make significantly less than men across the board, so it's just it's kind of like a microcosm of the United States in general, but really zoomed in on the issue of women in leadership roles because, like, the big C church in general is still divided on the issue of whether or not women can even be in leadership that informs even progressive churches. It's so funny to say that like having women in leadership is progressive even because that seems like a no brainer, but because it's still a a divide within the church, it, it means that even progressive churches are still painting on that canvas Mm -hmm. because it's still an issue so they're either patting themselves on the back for being super progressive and super forward thinking just for having women in leadership or they're not having women in leadership. Right. Man, that's, that's tough. That- uh, okay. So you've said like all of it is being painted on the canvas of patriarchy. Can Christianity exist without patriarchy? I think if we start to rewrite the, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you got the heresy about oh, to like the, yeah, the heresy <laughs> was right on the tip of my tongue uh if we start to reframe keep it real yeah if we start to reframe the the interpretations of scripture as not being a part of the godhead like right i i think that the big c church has gone really far in the direction of the bible is a part of the Trinity. I don't know what the number four word for Trinity is. Quirinity. Quadrinity. Quadrinity. That's I'm guessing. I like that. Mm-hmm. Quadrinity. Uh, That's actually really interesting. I hadn't considered what scripture being. Yeah. Part well, of that, which where people believe that the Bible is the, the end, the end all be all. 
and the only source and have lost the perspective that there's anything outside of the Bible. So um, as long as we're using the Bible as the God Sola Scriptura. Yeah, that's the uh, Latin. This is what got me out of Christianity, actually, or started the the snowball of me getting out. So I don't want to interrupt you. I really want to know more about Uh, that. (laughs) Okay, I'll I'll jump in real quick. Yeah, I was very Protestant and very about all about Scripture. That was the measuring stick that is, yeah, how we determine success or not success and very literal interpretations. Uh, And then I remember a guy at University of Florida, his name was Elliot, and someone I really looked up to, he read a ton and just like someone who I considered an intellectual, which is something I wanted to be. He decided to become Catholic, which to us Protestants meant he was going to hell. Yeah. And like, like, that's, that doesn't count. You're that's not Christian crazy. anymore. And so I sat down with him and I was just like, tell him like what's uh, brought this about. And so he brought up the Sola Scriptura versus Scriptura et Traditione, which is... Um, and yeah, Scripture and Tradition. And Tradition, yeah. which implied that God was still alive and still had a voice in this world. Yeah. And um, can still make himself known. Yes. A revelation, modern revelation is a thing. And I'm just like, holy shit. Like that's, yeah, that's like so much more bold than yeah. this like kind of sterile static. And literally everything we believe is locked into these pages with, mm-hmm. with no expansion. Yep. I, the, the thing that started to boggle my mind was the idea that the universe is still expanding and that mm-hmm. that's observable Mm-hmm. And that we can like see that the universe is still expanding, which if if you believe in intelligent design, that that this is like the visible, the experiential, tangible universe is like inside of a creative thought process, that it's still happening means that there's still something happening. <laughs> like yeah. that oh, there's still really someone thinking way. about it. Kind of like our own consciousness can expand throughout our lives. And if, and if, the universe if it's is God, yeah. if it's a God that's, that's a cool doing idea. that, mm-hmm. then that means that he's still like creating things and coming up with things. And if we're trying still to figuring live, shit out, still figuring sh- the yeah. book is still in, still being written. Mm-hmm. And if we confine it to this thing that is that ended when yeah. the last person wrote it or when it was canonized or whatever, we're limiting our experience of God to only what can be found in this book. Mm-hmm. And and all of our experiences, all our interactions to what can be found in this book, rather than is God still alive? Is God still working? I hope so. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like I can experience it if I believe that he's creating the universe and continues to create the universe. Yeah. That means that I can continue to grow. That means that I'm not limited to my sin or my sin nature or my my journey or my process. Like I'm st- I'm going to continue to expand as yeah. <laughs> as far as the universe exists. Oh, it requires a paradigm shift or maybe several paradigm shifts to get from seeing scripture and the world as literal and static to allowing for metaphor. Yes. And then not even allowing it, but like recognizing the beauty and the value in metaphor and yes. just the the freedom that comes that it's from that equal, if not 
more impactful to see the story that's being told in the allegory or in the, right, like, yeah. in the metaphor. And I would argue, like, yeah, it's, it's way more valuable. Like, it's because so it's limiting. Tra- it's transitional. You can transition it to any circumstance versus this is prescriptive for when you are in trouble having sex before marriage or whatever. And it allows you to think, right? Yeah. Like, if I tell you this is what this means, there's only one interpretation, there's no room for thought. Yeah. No room for reflection. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So you're talking about the quadrinity <laughs> yeah. and how scripture. Sola Scriptura. Sola Scriptura yeah. was part of the quadroon godhead. Yes. Uh, within that like defines a patriarchal yeah, church. I, it's the, it's the, it's the mindset and the doctrinal output of scripture is more important than a lived experience because that honestly that deletes so many people's voices it deletes queer voices it deletes women's voices it deletes people of color's voices it deletes any voice that someone who has power wants to quiet mm-hmm. and that in in my perspective is not the kingdom of god cuz the kingdom of god is every every everyone and everything it's the ocean that we're swimming in it's like not you can't just say like that person's perspective doesn't count because they're part of it they're like part of me they're part of everything so it sounds like you do have a vision of a church that is not patriarchal yes um and that might involve either allowing metaphor into scripture or dropping scripture altogether my Actually, my uh, this this is like the re- the real intense heresy about to happen. But I have had this conversation with a couple people in our congregation so far, and was not poorly received. So I feel like I can dip my toes. I actually think that scripture should not be preached. I think it should just be read, mm-hmm. like just read and processed and thought about and enacted. However, the reader, I don't think it should be preached because the preaching is what assigns an interpretation to it and it it expects the listener to subscribe to the interpretation of the preacher right and, and I, preaching implies a top-down authority yeah right like yes so us discussing scripture might be different as peers yes yeah yeah, uh, yeah us discuss uh, people discussing scripture is different mm-hmm. than it being preached and the preacher being assumed to be anointed or gifted in the way like monarchs are bloodline like gifted from god in their royal blood like that is some draconian like yeah it's like feudalistic and it it just doesn't make sense like i feel like there is no person who is further along in their pursuit of heaven than anyone else it's we're all like on one course (laughs) Mm-hmm. And we have like moments where we have enlightenment or we have moments where we're like, I completely doubt everything. And I like, I'm part of nothing and I'm depressed. And like, I, there's a whole world of experience that, uh, that you can have. And just saying someone is a pastor or someone is a priest or, uh, and usually that being a white cis man usually being I mean, the pastor or priest in most experiences yeah 
uh, certainly in the United States, um, that to to give that person the authority to interpret scripture and and have the general assembly have to agree that what they're saying is true. I, one thing I will say about Richard Dahlstrom is that, uh, who is a pastor in Seattle, who is the pastor of the church that I kind of grew up in, if you will. And that's the church I went to for several years when I first moved to Seattle. Yes. The one thing I will say about Richard is that he freq- frequently, which I think is important if you're going to have a pastor preaching scripture, as he would frequently say things along the lines of, I don't know, go look it up yourself. <laughs> And he would kind of humble himself and say, like, this is my perspective. I don't want you to think my perspective is truth, which is the opposite of what Mark Driscoll, who we talked about earlier, would do, which Mark Driscoll would be like, everything I'm saying is true. Listen to me or you're dead. Did you ever go Basically. to his services? I've been to four or five of his services. Okay, I've never actually gone. They were but... in Seattle. Um, I stopped going. The last service that I went to, he was preaching on the passage if you are bringing your uh, your offerings to God and you have like an uh, like impure thoughts or something, it's like being it's like presenting God with filthy rags. It's something like that. There's some passage that is similar to that. And I think it has more to do with like reconcile yourself to to your brothers or whatever before you come praising God because God's like fix your shit and then. <laughs> And then pretend like you're holy. Mm-hmm. That's the idea. But Mark Driscoll preached on it from the perspective of the dirty rags. And he he made a point about being like, those dirty rags are like bloody tampons. It's like bloody tampons that you're presenting before God. Like God doesn't want your bloody tampons. He continued to repeat Whoa. bloody tampons over and over again. And I looked at my friend who was sitting next to me, uh, my friend Shanna, who... Maybe a guest on this show at some point. I looked at my friend Shannon, who had taken me to this church, and I was like, I'm new to this church thing. Is it appropriate for me to stand up and raise my hand and disagree with the pastor? Or to pull out my bloody tampon yeah, and throw it up there. And wave it around yeah. in the air and be like, this is not weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's not bad. Uh, most it was, of the people on earth. <laughs> yes. Most. Something like this. Uh, that was, it just was so upsetting to hear him like obviously degrade women in such an obvious way. And then also like completely misinterpret scripture. Like in my, in my opinion, completely misread the passage and the intent behind the passage. Mm-hmm. Instead of seeing like the beauty in it, he was like, I'm going to make women feel like shit for this natural thing that happens to their body. <laughs> it was just like, ugh. That was the last time I went and I never went back and I, and neither did Shannon. Nope. None of us ever went back. And I continue to <laughs> cite that as the reason. And sure. anytime anyone's like, but like Mark, Marcel had good music. I'm like, but bloody damn buds. We have to go back to this. Cause that's not acceptable. Anyway. Yeah. He's an asshole and I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. That sucks. Um, let me present an idea to you. This might be opening a whole can of worms. Let's but- open it heard this line maybe a year ago and I've just been all over it. It's like, I don't care what you believe. Show me how you treat people. Mm, that's... And it's kind of like, God, I love it so much. It's like, believe in whatever God 
whatever cosmology, whatever, like afterlife, like who cares? It doesn't matter. It doesn't. Are you being chill with people? Are you like supporting your neighbors? Are you harming people? For real. Like, like why are we even arguing over, yeah, our view of how things are? That's a great. And we're fighting wars over that. That's a great question. Right? Why do we do that? Why do people care so much about what other people believe? Mm -hmm. And why is that like that worry about what other people believe causing so much harm? Like you are causing harm when you care about what someone else believes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it also points to like our thoughts and our beliefs. We are projecting out into the world, Mm -hmm. right? I fully believe in everything I believe that is my world. And if you challenge something I believe, you are literally destroying my world. Yeah, like taking a little a little pickaxe to it and right. cracking, cracking and, the foundation. I mean, and that sounds, yeah, that's a normal experience, I think. Yes. And something that we all have to grow up through. A lot of us might even die in that in that place. But it requires a certain amount of maturity to be like, I could be wrong. Yeah. There might be other ideas out there. My my thoughts about the way things are doesn't make it so. There's enough people, in, even in my immediate family, who are so damaged when their worldview is challenged that it makes it really hard to pursue that path. Like as a person who's open-minded to the idea that, that they could be wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. And to push back a little bit, you feel some need to challenge them. Yes, that's true. Well, because I feel because I feel like they're causing harm in their mm-hmm. inability to flex with their worldview yeah. or like to let let people live their lives, their own lives. Mm-hmm. That it it I like I've experienced harm from people who are fearful for my salvation or my I mean, on the very opposite side, like I have family members who are offended by my subscribing to a religion, (laughs) like in the inability to let my actions prove or let my like the way I live my life prove who I am as a person and and not care about the religion. Like, but like there's conflict in even me just trying to live my life in a way that is helpful and healing for the world around me. Yeah. It's really made it hard for me to even try and expand past certain boundaries. And I've, I have found myself really good at adapting to certain situations where in, in certain situations I'm like bold with my beliefs and in certain situations I'm very closed off about what I care about or what's important to me because there are so many boundaries all around all the time of like, are you going to harm me if I tell you the truth about this thing? Mm-hmm. And the answer is often yes, which is scary and sad. Yeah. Yeah. That's I'm, I've been having a hard time with that for a long time too. knowing when to speak up, feeling obligated to speak up about things, not really knowing when I need to push my ideas on somebody else. And when, it's like, they're just trying to figure shit out too. Yeah. You know, just like me. And 
I could probably make a good argument that I'm a little further along and maybe help them catch up some. Yeah. I mean, right now I'm questioning more and more like whether that's my place or whether that's doing any good, how to do that. If I am going to do that, how to do it gracefully. Yeah. How to build trust in that process which is not preaching at somebody right. or yelling at somebody yeah, that at doesn't all. Help. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, in YouTube, it's all about like, this person slams this other person and they just get totally humiliated. <laughs> awesome. That's, that's really good for the general consciousness. Right. I mean, and there's something very primal that like latches onto that. And it's yeah. like, yeah, I want to be a part of that too. I want to yeah. put somebody in their place. I hope the person who got humiliated doesn't agree with me on anything. Yeah. I'll just show how stupid they are. More and more, I'm like, I don't think that's how things actually work. So what do you do with that? What do you do with? Because this is one thing that I have, especially during like any election season, I get really wrapped around this one concept. What do you do with the fact that like, I feel like I'm, I'm definitely right in the way of saying nobody can be possibly right. Right. Like nobody can be right on everything. Nobody is like, uh, there's no way of knowing who is right about these things. Mm -hmm. And so I see these like camps forming. Right. And I see, I see the camp saying like, we are right about this and I'll give you the proof. Here's the proof. And then the other camp is like, we completely disagree, but we're certain that we're right about this thing. And I feel like the camp that I'm in is the, like, I'd love to hear your perspective. Let's talk about it. Camp. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine that there's a better camp than that. The camp of like, let me hear your perspective. Let's talk about it. I also still have in mind that maybe at the end of things, camp A or camp B could be the right one. Like where, no, the all-knowing God figure really only wanted people who were in camp A. Like only yeah. cared or loved the people who were in camp A. Like I'm, a, I'm even open to that possibility in my in my like brain sphere, and that that makes me really self righteous because I'm like I'm open to that possibility, and I know that Camp A and Camp B are not open to that possibility at all. Mm-hmm. How do I reconcile the idea that like I know I'm right on this? Does that just put me in another camp that knows that they're right, or am I really right? <laughs> <laughs> like in my universe no i'm just yes, like, I'm, right, tr- I'm just trying to figure out like i don't that it's just a question i grapple with a lot especially around politics and uh around religion and like religious belief in general is that idea of like i have never i did not grow up in a black and white household like a like an absolutist mm-hmm. household where there are certain truths that are self-evident right like it was like let's figure it out we'll figure it out (laughs) who knows Mm -hmm. uh it could be this or it could be this i don't know we'll give you as much experience as we possibly can with a bunch of different types of thinking and you figure it out and it 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 was a good way to be raised until i got married and i married someone who grew up in a very absolute family where there really was one way of doing things and our goal is to try and get as close to that one way mm-hmm. and that's uh, what i grew up in as well do you feel like you hold on to any of that like where you where you find yourself being like the dishwasher only goes times down or times up or like 
Like there are, there is a way to do this. And I know that it's the right way versus. I study and write a lot about like psychological development, how our, our minds grow and expand, um, which, you know, talking about the spectrum of the church, like falls yeah. into that to like kind of very, I don't want to say immature because that sounds pejorative, but kind of more primal ways of approaching God in the church and then much more sophisticated ways right. of approaching God in the church. And black and white thinking is a strategy that we all use and had to figure out, especially early on, right? Like yeah. you have to be able to see two clear options before you can see, you know, Lots 20. Right. Right. Uh, especially when things are urgent. Like find a toilet now or or poop on the sidewalk. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yes. a great example. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of churches, a lot of politics, you know, are kind of stuck in this black and white mindset. We still we still use this every day, right? Like not everything in your life are you examining right to the nth degree like to see what all the pos- yeah. potential possibilities like are. we use black and white thinking all the time i'm not going to eat poop that's bad i'm not gonna drink on a school night i will take my meds that is a good thing right whenever we're resorting to good and bad right and wrong we are using black and white thinking and that's a good thing would be like, I don't know, at 10 o'clock, I have a routine of turning off my computer to start winding down for bed. Sometimes I examine that, but often it's just like, there it is. Yeah. That This is what I do now. Yeah. And that's actually useful. Like that. Routine is definitely useful. Yeah. And building habits. And, and so black and white thinking is a tool. And we have built on top of that to have more sophisticated ways of thinking, but it's yeah. still something in us. It's like, and it's learned. It's, it's a learned behavior. It's a learned behavior. It's arguably a learned behavior that everybody learns, yeah. assuming you don't have like brain damage or aren't dying at a, as an infant. Well, that kind of, like that reminds me of like, me, it's at the core of all of us. It reminds me of me, discovering that certain behavior is misogynistic like Mm -hmm. later and then seeing it in a very black and white way see that's super interesting too because you can have very progressive mature sophisticated ideas but you're believing them in these more primal black and white ways yeah so sometimes you might see or hear somebody talking and they're using all the right right words but the way they're thinking about it is is actually kind of immature right again i don't want to say immature no but yeah um, uh more primitive yeah it's more yeah primitive or primal or something uh uh, remedial (laughs) beginning (laughs) stages yeah yeah and and that is (laughs) I'm, i'm so tempted to just like Spat out about those. There's the uh, the the pre post fallacy where something yes, could. Please. Oh, I love fallacy talk. Oh, we'll talk about okay. fallacies. Well, the straw man fallacy has come. This up is the a one I probably bring up the most. Uh, it is like you might see 
someone who is um, protesting the war. Yeah. Right. Um, and that might seem like a progressive idea, but maybe they're doing like it's the motivation that really matters. Right. right? It's um, maybe they're doing it because their friends are doing it and they just want to fit in. Right. Which right? is not uh, it's more a more remedial for like reason for doing it. It's not yeah. a critical thinking reason. Mm-hmm. And well, yeah. And then a a more sophisticated reason is that they actually like care about the people in these other countries yeah. and care about their lives and their culture and um, are very distraught by the destruction that will happen. I mean, somewhere in the middle is like, no government's going to tell me to go to war. Yeah. I'm like, don't tread on me. I'm going to live my life. Yeah. And, or, that, and that's very s- s- egocentric, I guess. Or my brother but, went to war and I, like... And he died, and that makes me sad. Mm-hmm. So I'm protesting. Right. And so pre-post fallacy is like you might see something and presume that it's sophisticated. Or you might see something and presume, like, you might see somebody in a church um, where a lot of my, like, progressive uh, atheist friends would be like, oh, they go to church. They are not as intelligent as right. us. Right. Um, or maybe they're, like, post-rational and, you know, they're experiencing, like, they understand rationality and they've built on top of that and they're accepting mystery into their life and wonder right. and um, understand the nuances and paradoxes of I, I wish we could have, people. like, buttons made, you know, uh-huh. like with a button machine that sh- shows where we are in our level of, like, post Pre and post, so, right? So that we can identify ourselves. It's like <laughs> I'm a part of a church, but I've also gone through this long deconstruction process and rebuilding, or whatever. Like mm-hmm. some way to identify ourselves, but then that takes away the whole point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's put people in more categories. <laughs> let's label. Let's label everybody. I mean, there's a place for that. There. I mean, that would start some cool conversations, but it would also like you're shitty, and I can dismiss you. Yes. Yeah. And maybe I need to listen to more what, to what you say. Yeah. And and these things are dynamic, right? Like we can easily revert back to earlier ways of thinking when the chips are down, when things get urgent. If a car is about to hit me, I'm not going to stop to analyze and to yeah. consider and to have compassion on the world. It's like I need to get the fuck out of there now. Yeah, I don't. I don't care what I'm gonna their use, motivation is for yeah. speeding. I I'm gonna die. <laughs> right. I'm going to use my base instincts as an animal to get out of the way. Yeah. And that's good. Like, yes. great. Yes. Good. You know? And so if we can remember that these are all part of ourselves and these are all tools and some people haven't gotten out of that, like, urgent deer in the headlights instinct or very far out of it. They're going to act weird. Oh, yeah, sure. They're going to act weird and they're probably going to be destructive and they're probably not going to have great relationships. And I don't know where it is my place to help them exactly, but I can at least see where they're coming from. I don't have to agree with what they do. Maybe you could just say, like, listen to this podcast that I made. (laughs) Yeah, and that'll solve all your problems, right? It could. Or follow Jesus. Or follow. Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord they and Savior? They just need Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Yeah. Can I pray for you? 
<laughs> oh, do you guys do that? What is it? Like, do you do, do that? Do we say that? Do you say, like, um, hey, can I pray for you? Actually, that's been a really funny joke with a few of my friends inside lately. I grew up. I haven't heard that in so long, but that was, like, my life. That That's, like, it's become a little bit, like, I, I have a couple of good friends who have been going through some harder times this year, and... As a way to like lighten the mood, sometimes I'll say like, "Can I pray for you?" And they're like, the the knee jerk reaction is like fear, like they re- <laughs> recoil. Like I really like. There's a, a split second where they're like, "She does not get me at all," and then they realize I'm joking, and they're like, "Oh, thank God!" <laughs> like I'm so glad that you're not actually going to pray for me right now. That's awesome. But there are people who are really benefited and impacted by that question. Like, Oh, sure. Can I pray for you? And that's what they need. It's we're in the season of Lent right now. And I, in some traditions and some uh, Christian traditions, like you give something up or you add something like it's, it's a, I was trying to make a laundry joke with Lent and it just, (laughs) it couldn't get it fast enough. (laughs) You mean like that stuff that you pull out of the dryer? Give up the fabric softener. (laughs) Not lint. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) we're in this season and I have been like trying to open myself up to like following my gut instinct, which in some traditions would be referred to as like listening to the Holy Spirit or like listening Mm -hmm. to like trying to discern these moments. And it's actually been pretty powerful already. We're only a week in or a week and a half in to this like season, but it's those moments of like, all of a sudden I'm thinking of this person and I'm worried about them. Like I have a sense of like dread about something that's going on with them. I'm going to call them. And then that has already turned into these moments of like, I was moments from reaching out to someone. I'm like really in a dark place and I needed a meal this week or I needed ABC. I remember where I was coming from. Oh, the praying thing. (laughs) So like, I feel like I'm trying to listen for those moments where and be intuitive and like lean into my intuition about like, does this person need, what do they need right now? Mm-hmm. What do they need from me? And spoiler alert, if anybody's interested in the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram two, which is like the helper. That's the, and I feel like I really relate to a lot of the descriptions of this like personality type, mm-hmm. but intuiting what people need just by like sensing their demeanor or their tone of voice or whatever has worked out well for me in starting to learn body language signals and that kind of thing. That's really useful. I, it has been very useful. I always thought I would make a great CIA agent. So Or psychic. <laughs> or psychic. Can you, can you give me a reading based on my demeanor? I mean, we've been sitting with each other for like two hours. <laughs> so I feel like your, your temperament has changed over the last two hours from like when we first we're around each other. I, like I'm getting I, sick of you and I, need, <laughs> I really need to go home. Yes. Or you're like really holding tight onto a shit that you can <laughs> say. My butthole is super tired. Right <laughs> or you're like, I'm on mic and I really don't want to fart. But I, so I'm like clenching. It Earlier <laughs> I was like, if I fart into the mic, that would be so clutch. The thought was, I do tell, I do ask people if I can pray for them sometimes if I sense that that is what they need. Mm-hmm. out of a moment and based on certain people's research about like what prayer does to brain chemistry and relaxing like i feel perfectly fine doing that with anybody who won't be offended or <laughs> like 
upset by that request or that ask, but I don't typically do it with, with most people <laughs> ask them yeah. if I can pray for them <laughs> or with them. And that's super cool that you are considering what people need. And I think regardless of, from the more atheist point of view, regardless of whether you think prayer is like these superstitious incantations right. or like actually talking to God, I'm starting to think is irrelevant. I mean, the kind yeah. of the, I don't yes. care what you believe, but how you treat people, it's like, you know what? Christianity might be what this person needs. Yeah. Like they need some structure. That and, is, they, and that's a step forward for them. And that so, is exactly the reason I continue to do my job mm-hmm. is because I sense that even though I don't necessarily believe all of the words that I'm saying, like when I'm leading a worship song, I don't necessarily like subscribe to it or feel like it is true for me. I can sense that it is beneficial to people, that they are like receiving something worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And that's like... I feel like I can continue to stay in a job that doesn't necessarily meet all of my like vocational needs. Right. Because I feel like I'm providing a service in the same way that um, a barista at a coffee shop provides coffee to someone who needs and wants coffee. Mm -hmm. And I can do a really good job at it. Like I do a really good job doing what I'm doing. Even if I can't like, there was a time when I thought I shouldn't be doing this job. My heart isn't in it or my heart isn't like, set in the way that like the evangelical church has described to me, I'm supposed to feel when I'm leading worship or like I drank last night. So I probably shouldn't be leading worship or, or like Mike and I got in a big fight and I'm still really pissed off. I can't take communion because of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are times when he and I would be playing in a worship band after a big fight. And it was like, I don't want to be anywhere near you. (laughs) Like, look at you. I'm supposed to be like helping people encounter Christ in this space. Like, and it was really a lot of cognitive dissonance for me to, to feel like I'm supposed to be at some certain place. But then when I started realizing, like, it's not about what I need, it's not about me being in a certain place. It's what about, it's what I can offer to people that they might need. And -hmm. if they don't need it and they don't want it, they have every option to get up and walk out like, or not show up for that portion of a service or whatever. If people need prayer, then they can ask for prayer. If that's what they need in their life. If they, if people want worship music and I can play the guitar and sing the songs and access some place for them, like I'm okay getting paid to do that. That feels good to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's helpful. Yeah. It, it actually like that's me saying my my religious experience and my religious tradition like that's how I treat people that's the I don't care what you believe but I care how you treat people yeah. like I treat people by providing the service that some people need mm-hmm. I think that's beautiful you have some skills and you're putting them out there and some people have needs and they are able to receive those it creates a a metaphorical conversation of just like us trying to figure out how to live. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Can we just live okay? <laughs> yeah. That's all I want. <laughs> I just want to live okay. <laughs> that's For real. so true. <laughs> uh... and, and if we can help nudge each other in whatever sloppy way towards being a little more okay, 
Like, I'll take it. Yeah, me too. And it kind of doesn't matter the medium or uh, the, the packaging that it might have. I was sitting in the backyard sipping on a minty drink. I saw a girl standing there. She was mowing the lawn. I said, hey, Zazig, who's this girl back here? That's the lawnmower girl. What's she doing? Is she talking on the telephone?